Welcome to Cards Chat, the friendliest poker podcast in town from the world's number one poker community. Hey everyone, I'm your host, Robbie Straczynski, and thanks so much for joining us on episode number 49 of Cards Chat, the friendliest poker podcast in town. There aren't many people out there that you can say wrote the book on something, but with today's guest, you certainly can. He's the author of Mastering Mixed Games, which is arguably the most comprehensive strategy book currently available for mixed games. He's not only an outstanding mixed game player, he's also a wizard in the No Limit Hold'em streets as well, and he's collected over $10 million in career tournament earnings, both live and online, across all of those poker variants. That includes a recent win at the Poker Go Cup, a shark at the tables, and someone who can actually claim to have swam with the sharks as well. Dylan Lindy, welcome to the Cards Chat Podcast. <laughs> Thanks, Robbie. Thanks for having me. Uh, good to see you. Good to meet you for the first time. I've been looking forward to this one. I'm certainly a, a mixed games uh, enthusiast and I've heard a lot of great things about you. So uh, I'm really looking forward to this conversation. Likewise, man. I hope they weren't all lies, but you know. We'll <laughs> okay. Well, we will. Okay. So we will. I'll preface it. We will definitely dive deep into the Knicks games and, of course, to your book and that shark story. But I do want to start with your most recent results because, man, this summer has been amazing to you. You've really been you know, just crushing it, for lack of a better word. Uh, over $420,000 in cash since April. So I'm going to improperly paraphrase Hulk Hogan here. Have you just been saying your prayers and eating your vitamins or just training? Uh, I mean, I, I think it's just been mostly training like the You know, the unfortunate slash fortunate thing about COVID is we all had to stay home. And, you know, the only thing to do was to play tough games online and do a bunch of studying. So I think it really was uh, good prep work to play some of these tougher, like high buy-in fields that came out, you know, here in the last couple of months. Mm -hmm. um, I really didn't start playing live poker again until, uh, late April. Um, and until then I was just, you know, kind of in the, in the grinding house of, of playing the, the tough online, um, high stakes, no limit games. Right. So was it sort of a little bit of a relief to get back to the life though? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, buy-ins are higher, so, you know, stress is a little bit higher from that, but as far as like the general skill level, when you're not playing against the, the pool of like the entire world, and like the the absolute best, you know, high stakes crushers from all over. Uh, it's certainly a lot easier, even though there's fantastic players, obviously, in the, you know, the poker girl high rollers and stuff. You're not literally everyone at your table is not someone who is just fantastic. Right, right. We'll definitely we'll get we'll get into that competition levels as well, um, specifically about those results at the Poker Go Cup. You won a 10K for $169,000, and the day before that, you finished third in another 10K for $85,000. So the, the, the majority of those results have been in these higher buy-in, these 10Ks. You have a couple WPT main events, some high rollers thrown in there for good luck. Was this sort of like a, a shot take as far as you're concerned, or are we going to be finding you from now on, you know, basically on that high roller seat? Um, no, I think it's pretty much my comfort level is, you know, I'm going to start maybe playing some of the higher buy-ins than that, but I think, um, yeah, you'll see me playing a bunch of 10 Ks from, you know, I, I, I've been, been playing that buy-in level for a while. Um, and I think like these poker go things have, I've, you know, more recently in the last couple of years realized that there is some pretty good value to them where I used to skip them all the time. Uh, so I'll definitely be playing those more often. Um, you'll probably be seeing me a little bit more in like the 25s and the 50Ks as well. Okay. Have you been, I guess, uh, you know, checking out the other Poker Go streams and, you know, scouting the competition like they do, you know, tennis players, NBA players, that sort of a thing and watching the tape? Oh, of course. I'm probably the one of the biggest lifetime poker fans you'll ever meet. I watch everything. It's sick. All <laughs> cash games, all these random, like, even these weird like 5k poker after dark sit and go, I just, I don't know. I love poker. I always have. I've always been that way. Like I've watched every poker night in America and all uh -huh. the weirdest poker cash game things you can think of. I've wow. probably seen it. But so you watch, I mean, like I, I watch it as a fan. This is awesome. This is entertaining. This is interesting. Oh, okay. Like that's cool. Or, you know, something gets hyped up on Twitter or are you watching like, you know, with a notepad? 
Um, I mean, not necessarily with a notepad, but certainly, you know, when there's, you know, I have a lot of friends that are at feature tables too. So I like to see how my friends play and I'm lucky enough to have a bunch of my friends be, you know, better players than I am like, you know, top, top charts, no limit players. Um, but also, yeah, I mean, there's a lot of scouting involved too. It's like, Oh, I, I think this player is at this level. And then I, it's like, Oh man, this player, I think is a lot better than me. I just saw them make like three mistakes. It also kind of makes you feel better too, to be like, Oh, right. they're human as well. <laughs> right. You know? right. Great. Uh, interesting. Always interesting to find out, you know, because there's so many aspects to study. You know, obviously, you know, the solver work and, you know, examining your own play. But you know, that's a, a unique angle for the high rollers because so many of them are televised, broadcast, streamed. Uh, you know, not like the mid-major folks, you know, and, and recreational folks can't always do that against every, you know, Tom, Dick and Harry who can, you know, who, who can approach your table. Yeah, it makes it a lot different. Like going from because because I play such a varied level of buy-ins, like. I, uh, people were laughing at me because I, I played the, the, the Orleans $600 tournament right after I won that. That's our next you know, question. Just, <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's, it's definitely a different, uh, a different game in some ways, you know, it's like a play player. So I've played, you know, hundreds of hours with to playing a table of completely random players who may or may not play that much poker. You know, it's, it's a lot of fun. It's, it's a, a difficult adjustment, you know, but I, I, that's why I like it. Okay. Well, that, that's basically the, the gist of the question. You know, like you said, you know, your comfort zone is these 10 Ks you're playing against the elite of the elite in poker. And look, I have a special place in my heart for the Orleans. I really do. And I'm sure a lot of our, you know, people who Me are listening, too. tuning in, I uh, love the Orleans. Great place to play. I mean, What's it like, though, to make that sort of an adjustment because the competition is certainly different in a $600 event? Yeah, it's I mean, you you just kind of have to not, you know, I have to play more exploitatively. Like I'm so used to I do a lot of I'm more of like a solver based player, mm -hmm. um, you know, like the studying and stuff I do away from the table. So a lot of the games I'm implementing those strategies all the time and using, you know, that kind of thought process where like, OK, I think that they're going to be bluffing with these hands. So I'm going to be bluff catching with this Two, When you're playing a $600 tournament with some players where it's just like, they're just not going to be bluffing this situation, or they're going to be continuation betting hundred percent of the time, or, you know, you really have to try to guess what their strategies are, which, I mean, I think that that is an amazing part of the game. I think it's, it's not just like, I, I like playing the high level poker with like all the solver work and, and, that, but I also like playing the psychological game where I'm sitting with a random person. I try to figure out like, is this guy a complete lunatic? Is this guy even sober? Like what, you know, like that, that is another part of the game that is a lot of fun too. So I, I like, you know, like I said, I watch everything. I, I also like to play everything because I just like, I just, I like games and, you know, poker really my favorite game. Which would you say is, um, you know, obviously you're a professional poker player, which would you say is the more difficult challenge you know, the, the, the psychological, exploitative, perhaps unpredictable or mastering the math against other players who've also done the same? Well, I, I mean, I would I would think that as far as the way that you're applying your brain, probably the psychological aspect. But as far as discipline, for me, the mm -hmm. the act of actually studying and taking that, you know, that's why you see like a lot of the players who who excel at the high rollers and stuff are people who are very good at regimenting themselves. They put a lot of hours into studying, you know, diet, working out. That's why you sure. see all these things get connected because they're, they actually take this time and obviously they have, you know, the highest level of intelligence and like mental acumen, of course, because they've adjusted to get up to there and you're still exploiting at that point too. But I think that the, like, you can always add the psychological layer on the both aspects, right? It's like when, when you're playing in a, in a, you know, a tough 25 K tournament, you're not just going off of what, you know, PO tells you to do. You're right. adapting that based on what your opponent's doing. So I still think that, that the psychological, you know, exploitative level is still the more difficult level. Um, it's just the discipline involved in the studying is where a lot of people stumble. Got it. Got it. You know, well, myself how, included for a long time. Oh, okay. Interesting. Well, how about, I guess the ambiance, I mean, in poker go for the poker who caught you playing in this, you know, beautiful studio, brand new state of the art, you know, television facility for, you know, it's not a casino. Um, it's adjacent, obviously, to the Aria. 
versus let's say the Orleans, again, classic poker room. Is that any sort of adjustment to be made as well? Oh yeah, of course. I mean, you're playing at poker go, it's like you're playing maybe seven handed at a table that's probably built for 10. It's a huge, <laughs> they're all huge tables. Yeah. And you get, you know, you're, you're like, oh, I'd like some Javier's. And they're like, oh, here, here's some Javier's for you, right to the table. Uh -huh. You know, I mean, it's, yeah, it's a different experience for sure. You know, and the level of professionalism is different. Also, oddly enough, the, um, I find that the, there's, there's probably more banter in the high rollers, depending on your table. Like there's, you know, there's like this weird thing where you're at some of the like lower or mid buy-ins, you get these people that take it extremely seriously. And there's a lot more like, but there's, you know, there's some anger involved and I don't feel like you get that as much in the high rollers and people are just kind of joking around and, you know, but I mean, you get some tables that are just awful of course in the high rollers too, but mm -hmm. you know, you get, cause because it's people that have known each other for so long, there's just a lot of a lot of back and forth. It's definitely a different, a different environment. They're both very fun, but Got extremely it. different. Right. And I, I take it that no one from the poker room staff at the Orleans has ever said, here's your two scoops of Baskin Robbins, nothing like that. <laughs> no, I wish. <laughs> I wish, man. <laughs> I, well, that's the hidden gem. I love having that Baskin Robbins across from the Orleans poker room. Nothing like it. Oh yeah. I came home with a, I went over there to go get a milkshake and then uh -huh. I came home with an ice cream pizza, which I didn't know. <laughs> I just saw it there and I was like, well, guess that's coming home with me. <laughs> that's awesome. I love it. Um, well, Dylan, your biggest live tournament ca uh, cash, it came in 2018 when you won the WPT Five Diamond 10K main event for $1.63 million. So a lot of people look at like the big numbers, the biggest scores as the highlights of their career. I'm wondering, was it that for you or was it perhaps something more qualitative and you know, maybe a little earlier in your career? Not trying um, to lead in, just wondering what it was for you that was, really sticks out. So, I mean, it, it's difficult to say that, I mean, it, it's close because I, I feel like the first, like for me, the like the that was definitely the biggest moment because it just changed a lot of things for me financially. Mm -hmm. um, but for me, the biggest like confidence booster was when I, even though it was also the biggest emotional um, letdown I've ever had was when I final table PCA mm. uh, because I had been grinding high stakes online and live for a very long time without any big chance at a significant result. I just had a bunch of like, 20ths and 30ths and 18ths and you know so that moment was felt different you know I think I felt more of a like oh my god this is happening sort of thing whereas like five diamond felt sort of surreal it was I was in for five bullets I was feeling pretty bad when I was in for five bullets um, you know I needed like 27th place to break even out of like you know 1100 players in the 10k so I was like oh, this is this is looking grim and then by the time like it played out the night before the final table, we played until 4 a.m. So it was just long and the final table started and it all just just pat. Like, I don't know. I was just in the in the place where I wasn't really it wasn't until it was over. Like even when we were all in in the last hand in that tournament, it was like, OK, probably going to lose the heads up right <laughs> wow. here. And we're going to be back to like, you know, I'll be back to grinding heads up. I, that's the way I feel every time I'm heads up. It's like the final hand when we're all in. I always feel like it's like, okay, I'm probably going to lose this hand and then we'll go back to grinding hands up. Like it's, wow. it's weird. The same thing happened in the poker go thing. I'm like, ah, I think Sam had like ace three or ace five and I had ace 10. I'm like, oh, he's probably going to hit the thing. And then we'll, we'll grind this out again and try again. That's a very fascinating response because I mean, you, you literally clued me in. You're like, I was in five bullets and I had to hit 27th place to have a profit there. So at some point you were in for four bullets and wondering, should I put this fifth bullet in? And you decided yes, because you believed in yourself enough that I will get, you know, it's still worthwhile. It's a plus EV move. I will cash for 27th or better. How does that, I mean, it seems to contrast a little bit with what you said. Well, there, there was a little bit of a push where I texted my friend, Elio Fox, and I said, do you think I should re-enter again? And he said, are you an idiot? <laughs> and it's like, uh, wow. well, okay, I guess that's a yes. <laughs> Interesting. He's a former WSOP Europe main event winner, right? Yes. Yeah. Yes. Uh, big nosebleed, uh, you know, high stakes destroyer. Uh-huh. Wow. Okay. So that's all the confidence boost you needed there. And then, you know, just went uphill. 
Yeah. Well, I didn't have quite enough confidence to, instead of going and asking him for the last $700 I needed, I went to the, uh, to the ATM at the Bellagio and paid the $30 withdrawal fee for it. Cause I was just like, I had already gone and borrowed some money to enter the number four. And I was like, Oh, I'm not doing this again. <laughs> uh, I slunk over to the ATM, got in the fifth and okay. then ended up sitting at a table with two friends who were like, Oh God, they had seen me walk into the line. It was like a table right by the registration line. Right. <laughs> such like, a funny oh, thing. I, I experienced it myself. I mean, I like not that necessarily the ATMs, but like the $5 bottle of water sometimes so I'm like, because you know, look again, not that I'm a big high roller, but it's a funny sort of disconnect that we make as poker players. And I, I can include myself in this as well, even as recreational, like, sure, we'll go ahead and, you know, slide a couple stacks in there, whatever you have. But like, when it comes to an ATM fee, you're like, what? what, what, what? Yeah, it stinks. <laughs> yeah. No, for sure. It's for a sure. I, I have a friend that will like, he'll pay like you know, a few thousand dollars for tickets to a sporting event, but then right. he will argue on the phone with someone over a $20 fee on his phone bill, you know, right. for like two hours. So the it's principle, just, it's right? A, yeah, it's a, some <laughs> things you're really you're like, yeah, this is what I want to do, it's fine. This thing stings because they're just getting me a $20 right. Bellagio ATM fee. Right, I mean, if they had a oh couple of scoops of Baskin Robbins in there, it's like, okay, I'll fine, I'll pay the fee. Maybe. Yeah, oh, no, for sure, for sure. If they had an ice cream machine right next to the ATM, I'd probably use it a lot more. Brilliant, brilliant. All right, well, you do have, of course, that WPT title. Um, for now, a WSOP bracelet has eluded you. You came very close last fall, finishing runner-up in the 1K Beat the Pros Bounty WSOP online event, 147K. I'm not going to ask you about that event specifically, I'm not going to ask you about your runner-up finish. I'm just kind of wondering, you know, that was obviously a major highlight of your year exclusively online during this pandemic. You obviously said you were studying a lot, doing a lot of training. It forces you into that. What's it like to just, you know, be in that mind frame for one entire year? You obviously can't play live, only online. What's that, what's that like? I mean, it's a lot different. It's the only time I haven't, you know, I was talking with my wife about it. It's the only time that like we'd been in the, you know, relatively the same place. Like we'd been commuting between Mexico and Nevada, but that's, you know, it's a four hour drive. It's not like a, it's not a big deal. Mm -hmm. um, but we just, you know, all the other years that we've been together, we'd just been flying around, you know, living in, living in Playa del Carmen half the year and us half the year and traveling and all this. And this was just like the first time since, I mean, way back in the day when I was playing much lower, only playing online on like poker stars when before Black Friday, wow. when I just been like sat in my office or sat in a room just playing online poker for, you know, 10 hours a day. And then then I wasn't studying. I was just playing. Right. You know, now it's like all all this last year, it was just like I I play, you know, four or five, 10 hour days a week. And then F, then the other days I'd study, you know, I'd study in the morning before I start mm -hmm. when I finished and you know, it was a, it was a good, good routine for me. It felt really, it felt good. It felt, uh, felt powerful for lack of a better word. It was just like, wow, I know, you know, and it especially crystallized for me when I started playing live again, because I had been playing like, you know, six to sometimes 10 tables on Sundays, um, of making a bunch of difficult decisions. And all of a sudden I only have you know, two cards and one decision. And it's right. like, wow, this is so much easier than I remember it being before the pandemic. Like, you know, and it wasn't like I only just started studying. Like I've been working with solvers and stuff for a lot of years, but sure. the, the condensation of it, I think really felt different. And the, right. you know, like the, like losing heads up in the, in the bracelet event didn't feel bad at all. It just felt like everything just felt normal. It was just like, okay, grinding, making good decisions. Like, right. You know, things were all falling into place, like, you know, felt yeah. really good. Very interesting. How, how else did you fill your time for the year? What other things did you do besides study and play? Um, you know, walk the dog. Uh, did a lot of cooking, oh, okay. um, you know, because it what didn't really want to go to go to like stores and stuff. We were just my wife and I were just ordering. Um, I've been into cooking for a, a long, like a very long time. Like I mm -hmm. you know, watched every episode of Chopped. You know, like it really <laughs> things I like to do, Robbie. I'm very obsessive about. Good. Um, you know, so we would just order like 
boxes of meat and produce of just random stuff and like trying to figure it was almost like my own personal episode of chop it's like all right you got this weird cut of meat and these weird vegetables what the hell do i do with it <laughs> it's good to give yourself a challenge and fill that time yeah. like you said very cool <laughs> spent well, a lot of quality time with my wife which was nice that's obviously very important that's cool you know, what, the, what uh, you know what doesn't uh, drive you apart certainly brings you in closer together in that way um absolutely Obviously, you're a very successful online player, over $6 million in caches, dating back to 2006, including a couple of scoop titles. Sort of like a two-part question. What do you specifically enjoy about playing poker online? And I don't know if it's necessarily related, but do you also sort of feel that those players who exclusively play live are missing out on something? Um, so to answer the second question first, yes, they definitely are. Um, online is, you know, it's different. I, I, I get that it's less enjoyable for a lot of players because it's, you don't have that social aspect as much. Um, but to tie into your first question, um, the reason why I like playing online so much is that you get the chance to compete so much more often and to kind of hone your skills. And I think when you're playing only live poker, you're playing so much fewer hands than, than the people who are playing online, but also you're not getting that chance to test your willpower as much as you do when you're playing online, because online you get so many of these like build up disappointment, build up disappointment, you know, bad beats, and then also a bunch of victories. So you, you learn to handle everything better. It's more smooth, you know, win one tournament and feel like you're the best in the world and go right. blast off of the biggest cash game you can find, you know, <laughs> as often because you've done it before and you've, you know, you've wrecked yourself before. It's like, right. uh, like live poker is just a very slow version of, you know, your career trajectory. If you play online, like you're, you know, everything is slowed down and stretched out over a large amount of time. I mean, games are much softer, of course, Right. Um, but I think, you know, anybody who takes poker very seriously is doing themselves a disservice if they only play live poker. Interesting. That's fine. It's um, a question I ask, not just, you know, it sounds sounds like an interesting question to ask, but it's more of, I know I, myself, to be very frank, you know, last time I played online poker was a very long time ago. I mean, I can't do that from here in Israel. And a lot of folks can't do it necessarily from different places in the United States. But, right. you know, it's interesting beyond those like those those same arguments, you know, the the one table at a time thing. But to understand from a professional standpoint what it is that you gain, it seems like it really makes you a more complete and, and well-rounded player in a way. Yeah, absolutely. I think it helps, you know, as much as it helps with the skill aspect of the game, it helps with that, you know, the mental and emotional aspect mm -hmm. a lot. At least, you know, and maybe that's just me projecting because those are things that I've always struggled with in my career. But it's, you know, it's really been the biggest whetstone for making my my emotional and mental strength sharp. Got it. Interesting. Well, um, our uh, our uh, team of researchers, we found that you're originally from Idaho and we were surprised to see that you're actually number two on the Idaho all time money list behind Kevin McPhee. And then it's just like this, you know, huge drop. You know, no one's even close to you. So. <laughs> Yes. Do you know him, and is there some, any sort of rivalry between the two of you for who's going to be Idaho's number one? I mean, no real rivalry. We're best friends. We learned how to play poker together. No um, kidding. Okay. And we started in gaming together, actually. We started playing. We met in college. Even though it's funny, we're from the same hometown of like 40,000 people in the exact same age. He's wow. like two months older than I am. No kidding. Um, wow. Yeah, he's an old man. So. <laughs> yeah. But we didn't meet until college and we started playing Magic the Gathering together. Um, we met through my roommate at the time and we both just kind of transitioned into poker. And so we both took the leap into playing professional poker together. Um, we actually used to have close to the same online screen name on PokerStars. We were wow. I'm a Luxac and I'm a Luxac, which with a, one with a K and one without. And it was just a weird happenstance where he, I don't know if you remember, but there was a time when party poker ceased to exist. Yes, uh, sure. in the U.S., right? Like 2006. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. It was like the pre-Black Friday, Black Friday. The, 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 um, what was it? The U-I-G-E-A? Yeah. 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 When it first passed, they like panicked and left. And then so my name was I'm Luxac on there and his was I'm Mark. And we had been grinding a bunch of limit. We played limit holding at that point in time. 
Um, and he, it was like over summer vacation and we weren't like, for whatever reason, we hadn't communicated for a couple of weeks in the summer vacation. And so he had made a name on poker stars. He liked my name better. So he made it, but he put a K in there. I had mine was had no K because there was a nine character limit on party poker at the time. Uh, so I made the same name. And then like the next week we were <laughs> both at the same table together. And I was like, Kevin, what the, you know, and it said that back then it said your city too. So people thought that we were nice. French oh God, that's and we were cheating. Wow. Right. Like we, I remember going to PCA one year and sitting with one of the ladies who works for, it was in like an 1100 horse event. She works for star security. And she was telling me, she's like, you know, I was saying something about, you know, I, you know, I'm like, Oh, there's probably not any place in my head. She's like, I bet I know you and everything about you more or less. You know, I was like, well, that's weird. She's like, yeah, you're uh, you're one of the I'm Luxex, and we have a form letter about your guys's names because people would complain that they thought that like two morons had the exact or one moron had the exact same name from the same city and was cheating. So they just had this letter that was like, no, we know who these people are. They're not cheating. They just kept sending out the same form letter to everybody. Over. That is amazing. That yeah, Kevin has been friends for like, I don't know, 20 years or something at this point. That is an amazing story. Very cool. So, so no rivalry whatsoever as far as, you know, who's going to be number one in Idaho. You just kind of like, you said, you're like your friends you get along with just like rooting for each other. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I mean, okay. obviously there's, you know, there's some bragging, but no, I mean, I would never, never root against them in, in any capacity whatsoever. Got it. Okay. Well, here's one. Try this one on for size then. Um, I don't know necessarily that Idaho, and you know, it seems like on Hendon Mob, your first few caches were in Pendleton, Oregon at the Wild Horse Resort and Casino. Not exactly the Las Vegas, LA, Macau <laughs> hotbeds of poker. So you know, like, what was it like starting out as a professional in the American Northwest? Uh, a lot of women poker. Um, we're, we're, where we're from in Idaho, um, Coeur d'Alene is really close to Spokane, Washington. Okay. So there's no poker in Idaho, but in Washington they have poker, but they have, uh, I think there's a couple other States. I think Arizona is one where they have this like betting limit. Mm -hmm. So you can only bet up to $500 at a time. Oh, so, like Florida used to be like that also. Right. Right. So they, you can only play limit games there after a while, after a number of years, they figured out that you could do spread limit, but that didn't used to be a thing. It used to be only limit. So we play limit hold'em in, uh, in Spokane, Washington a lot. And they, Washington has a law where it's just like pretty much any bar can have card tables. So you have like tiny little places that have like one or two, you know, we don't have like these big poker rooms, like you think of in like Vegas and stuff. Right. Um, so yeah, we played a lot there and then Pendleton was the closest place to drive and play like tournaments, which is what we had started playing online, even though we were playing limit cash games live. Uh, so yeah, that was the first, first trip. It was like a, I don't know, seven hour drive or something. Okay. And Go out there in the middle. No. Right. So, so I mean, at what point did you sort of say, okay, it's time to, uh, you know, hit the road, take your three stacks of high society and you know, see, see what kind of competition go, is beyond Pendleton. Well, it was, you know, we played a lot of online. We'd actually gotten a, made like a grinding poker house in, in Coeur d'Alene, Idaho with uh, another friend, Carter Gill, okay. um, who famous from the, uh, Oh, the aces the versus aces. No, the, no, the ace queen that, yeah, the disappointed poker player meme thing from the world series. Was like yeah. Him that's and, the one. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Gosh. Uh, so we had had like a grinding house from that. And then when our lease went up there, um, you know, Kevin and I went on a big road trip down through LA. We just wanted to visit a bunch of just random poker rooms. Okay. Oddly enough, I wish I had it here. I, uh, I went to the bike recently and they reprinted my player's card and it still has a picture from 2006 on it. <laughs> I should tell you, 2006 me looks a lot different. The hair oh was here. <laughs> A lot more, yeah. But they still use that same photo on your uh, on your gotcha. player's card, which is a trip. Uh, yeah, it was just kind of a thing where we'd had a lot of online success. So mm -hmm. it was like, you know, let's try to make it to Vegas, play the World Series. Um, so we had gotten a house with the three of us and a couple other players um, and played 
you know, a bunch of side events and stuff. Ended up playing the main, but it wasn't definitely wasn't our plan that year. Uh, yeah, it was just a thing where it's like, you know, let's translate this online success into live success and, you know, see see what the poker world has to offer. I mean, we, like both Kevin and I had just, we, we knew we wanted to be professional poker players. I mean, we were at that point, but we wanted to, you know, entrench ourselves in it. So, I mean, because that's interesting, because like, I imagine if you didn't have the online experience, it may have felt something going like, you know, from A ball to AAA or, or the major leagues or something. But I imagine the online experience certainly helped. Was there anything when you did get to the bigger poker rooms, you're like, okay, these guys know what they're doing? Or were you fully prepped for that type of let perhaps a higher level of competition? I think for myself, it was more the psychology of the stakes. Mm-hmm. Um, I just, I'm not a natural gambler. So like my entrance into poker, I felt like very, yeah. And I definitely was like a very tight player then too, but like money and everything meant a lot to me. So the mm-hmm. psychology of the stakes, I think bothered me a lot when I played, like I'd play a game where I was probably much better than a lot of players at the table, but I wouldn't be able to execute. Right. Um, which definitely was, was the problem earlier, early in my career. And it extrapolates into much later in my career too, hmm. where I would be beating tough online fields and then just, dropping the ball in, in live poker. Wow. Interesting. Well, at what point uh, did mixed games um, enter the mix? Like at what point did you start saying, okay, let's, let's go beyond no limit hold'em? They were kind of always there um, because of the Washington thing. Um, Omaha eight or better is pretty much the only other game spread there. So mm-hmm. it was kind of a thing where it's like, Oh, let's learn how to play this game. And I'd already been involved in playing seven card stud uh, high online because party poker used to have this $77, 7,777 guaranteed tournament that would overlay all the time. Oh, okay. I was like, well, this can't be that different than limit holding. Right. <laughs> so I started playing that cause it had an overlay. And then I got into playing a little bit of cash games in it. And, you know, uh, so it just kind of gradually spiraled into playing more games. Um, which really like I, I've gotten pretty proficient at split pot games, but it really came to a head one year when I had been playing EPTs. Um, and I took a side trip with Jim Colopy and Steven Chidwick to Austria, um, just to go skiing and like, you know, have a little vacation and Stevie and I were talking and he was pretty good at draw games. And so we decided that, you know, he like, he would teach me how to play draw and I would teach him how to play split pot. And so then we started, you know, we started working together a lot on mixed and, you know, like tournaments are a good way to learn how to play mixed games because you get to play a ton of hands for a set price. Right. So then I just started playing every game, every tournament. Um, And it just kind of spiraled from there. You know, I started playing more cash and just liked it more as a nice, a nice escape from playing no limit. Mm -hmm. Also, I, my friends and I, you know, I, we all kind of operate under this theory that like every game can teach you more about whatever your main game is. Even, even not even necessarily poker games, but like, because like Kevin and I and a bunch of other poker players came from playing Magic the Gathering, right? Mm-hmm. Like that really helps you to learn poker. And in the same, same way, like, you know, learning things in other poker games will help your main game, you know, like learning certain concepts from PLO will help your no limit game. Sure. You know, learning all these various split pot concepts help you with all of your other split pot games. Uh, so I just call it always operated under that. I can like take a break from playing no limit, but I can still be playing poker and it'll still help my no limit game when I come back to it. Right. Excellent. Do you have, I mean, as you're learning these games, one at a time, obviously so many different variants, is there one in particular that, that caught your fancy and uh, it's like, you know, this remains your favorite today, or perhaps a category of games, like you enjoy stud games more than flop games or something like that? I have two, I think I have two top loves in, uh, in mixed games. I, I think Omaha 8 is just near and dear to my heart because it's, I have so many good memories of it early in my career. Uh-huh. Um, I also think it's a game that people misplay very heavily. Um, and it's very dynamic in the way that you play it in tournaments versus the way that you play it in cash games. It has right. like two very, you know, different styles. Um, but I also love deuce to seven triple draw because I think that it's, it's a very mathematical game, but it's also one of the few 
limit games where there's a huge amount of bluffing that can be done for just like one one bet. So it's the yep. game I like to teach my no limit friends because um, I just have a lot of love for it. It's a very uh, it's, it's very limited information game, so you can be very creative. Um, yeah, I think it's a lot of fun. Cool. Yeah. Well, I, I certainly agree with you there. That's a near, near and dear to my heart. Uh, do seven triple draw. I mean, you mentioned, obviously, uh, for those sort of learning the games, tournaments have that huge benefit. Like you said, set, set price, get to play lots yep. of hands. You've played lots of hands. So do you prefer playing cash games or tournaments as far as, uh, as, far as the mix? Depends on the game. Um, oddly enough, I hate deuce to seven triple draw tournaments. Uh, huh. Because they're just... Maybe it's the structure or something, but it's just like there's such a ridiculous amount of variance in that game, you know, that <laughs> yeah. it's like when you get to the end end stages of a tournament and there's 10 bets effective, it's just like, a, right, yeah, <laughs> guess I'm going to lose this hand. Like, it's, I don't know, I feel like I have less control in that. Okay. Um, so it really depends. Like, I think PLO8 is an amazing tournament game, like one of the best tournament games there is because it's, the equities run so close. You know, and especially when stacks are like kind of medium and short as they are in tournaments, it's all about figuring out a way to get your opponent to fold when they shouldn't. Right. And it's like most of the time when there's 30 big blinds effective in PLO8, they probably shouldn't fold or, you know, it's like they're they're at least indifferent to folding or calling. Mm-hmm. So you figure out strategies to get them to fold hands where they, you know, where they otherwise shouldn't. It's, it's cool. It's really fun. Um, I do like playing like these dealer's choice tournaments and stuff at the series are just they're so much fun. The strategy of like picking games that I like that a lot. So I don't know. I mean, it's not a, not a very good answer. I think I enjoy, I think in general, I enjoy playing cash more just because it's kind of the, that cash atmosphere of playing limit. It's like fast and furious and people are laughing and having a good time. Sure. You know, whereas tournaments in all forms are kind of be serious, you know, I mean, got it. they get to be serious at least. Right. Well, I can say the one the one bracelet event I ever played in uh, the first one I had to had to give it a shot was that fifteen hundred dollar dealer's choice. It was a good one to to start in, and like you know, there's that at least for me, it was certainly a fun vibe. And, and yeah, what what actually and this kind of leads in a little bit to my next question was it shocked me. I think there were just a little over four hundred and maybe four hundred thirty players, something like that. This is two thousand nineteen, and like I feel like I recognized half the field. It's all pros. And I was like, well, that's a little surprising. I mean, all these home games that go around across the country, I mean, people do play different variants, but not you won't necessarily see them running in casinos. You don't usually see, except for the World Series of Poker or like in a major marquee series that they'll have mixed events. So, so you know, I'm a lover of mixed games. You are, but you obviously have, you know, ridiculous amounts of experience. What do you think is it is that, is, I don't know, perhaps holding back people from getting more into mixed games? I think that, well, I think there's two aspects to it. One is that there's a lot of people that play a lot of individual games that you find in like mixed game formats. You know, like for me, the Northwest, there's like Omaha 8. Mm-hmm. But you get people who, a lot of these people are intimidated by, they don't want to come and play against the pros in games that they don't know. So they don't want to necessarily, they might come and play like a, you know, like the 08 event, but they're not going to play the eight game event, even though they probably know how to play most of the games. Uh, I just think it's this thing where they, when they want to gamble, they want to play their, their game that they feel confident in. Um, And in like the 1500 dealers choice specifically, you see a lot of players, you know, because you get a lot of no limit players or other good poker players that have no idea what they're doing. You know, I like (laughs) have friends that only play no limit that are messaging me like, okay, what's a Badoogie? You know, they're like, it's like, (laughs) So I, I guess I really lucked out because at my table, the one table I have to, you know, not that it's about me, but I have to, if you're already saying that, then I had James Obst on my left. I had Jeff Lissandro sitting across from me. And uh, I think it may have been Ben Yu on James Obst's left. I think. I'm not 100% sure. What did him. you do to deserve that? Yeah, I don't know. I don't And this is my <laughs> first. That's what I was like, I'm not understanding. I'm like what is going on here? Like, is everyone just the master of these mixed games and everyone else is afraid, but maybe I would just see it at the wrong table for that event. No, I remember um, like two hours into the, the 1500 dealer's choice, Dominic Nietzsche texts me and he's like, so what is the difference between Bedusi and Bedesi? Oh my God. How are these, you know, it's just, 
Wow. <laughs> Dom. We're going to have to have Dominic on as a future guest here on the Cards Chat podcast. We'll, we'll teach him all about Badoogie. Um, <laughs> so, uh, it can't, like you said, it's a little bit intimidating playing against the Masters, but beyond that, if, you know, if you want to improve your game, and then, you know, learn a little bit more, you know, it's, except for paying for the experience in a tournament, it's a little bit hard to find training material on mixed games. Your book, yes. Mastering Mixed Games, is extremely well regarded. What inspired you to write it? Um, first, thank you. And second, it was kind of a, you know, it was, it was probably something I never would have tried to tackle out of my own volition, but I was approached by the, by the publisher about it. Um, through Jonathan Little, and they had someone who had started it, and they had committed to a publishing date, and then the person just kind of dropped off the face of the planet. And you know, John knew that I played a lot of mix, um, a lot of mixed cash, and I, I think for me, it would have been too intimidating for me to try to write. I mean, because I, you know, it had been right. since college since I've actually written anything. But they were like, you know, hey, do you want? To? And I said, you know, I can try to take it on. We'll see how it goes. And then it turned into this personal challenge where it was like, I need to, you know, there isn't as much information out there. Like if I tried to write a book on no limit, I feel like it would be very difficult because so much mm -hmm. has been covered um, with these games. A lot of it was breaking new ground, you know, like talking about like Bidesi and Bidusi, especially. Yeah. Yep. Um, there's not even solvers out there. You know, like I had to do a lot of that math by hand. I think that's so, a good thing that there aren't solvers for Bidesi and Bidusi. That just personally, oh, for sure. me, I feel like sometimes an unsolved game is, a net good thing because that means no one solved it and that's great if, if one yeah, person absolutely. solved it that's a little dangerous <laughs> right well but you don't know someone could have written their own there might be a guy out there who just got like an archie solver pumping all the time <laughs> and he just you know shout out to archie yeah. <laughs> oh, man. what a game that is yeah <laughs> for those who don't know it's a great game uh it's uh eight or better for the low a pair of nines are better for the high triple draw lots of good fun in there um, definitely no solving going on in that game. Correct. Tell you that um, how, well, here's a, here's an interesting one. Like there's no solvers obviously. And you said you had to do the math yourself, but what I, I personally think is so cool about the book, it doesn't just necessarily introduce you to the game if you don't know it at all, but there's also enough strategy in there for those who are familiar with the games to get something out of it too. It's not just, you know, mixed games for dummies. There's a lot more to it than that. How did you sort of balance that as far as your writing and, and knowing who, who the audience for this book is? So when I, when I agreed to take on the project, my idea for it was to target it at poker players. So people who already are, you know, I, I thought that mostly the people who would be interested in it would be people who primarily play one game um, my thought would be that they're probably no limit or PLO players, but not necessarily just those people. But I thought that if there's people who are already good at a game, um, you know, they don't, they're not just going to want the dumbed down version of everything. Like, mm -hmm. so I treated every section as like, okay, the first, you know, a few paragraphs introduction are going to be like, like you said, like mixed game for dummies, but then we're, let's just dive right into the meat of it. Mm. and leave it easy to, to digest after I've, you know, quickly broken down like, oh, these are good hands. These are, you know, I, I didn't want to make assumptions that people are extremely high level right off the bat, but I also just kind of want to give people credit for being able to learn quickly. And, you know, if you don't get a concept, just go back. So I, I really wanted to target it to those players who felt confident in, you know, poker in general, that they have a grasp of, the concepts of poker and now let's teach you how to like i said earlier you know my my beliefs on like applying different theories from games into new games i wanted to write this book from that perspective where it's like okay you're decent at a game now let's show you how to apply those same concepts to new games right okay i like that it's good but well well uh well worded i would say <laughs> good answer there um, we talked before about, you know, the difference between going from these 10Ks, 25Ks to now a $600 event. You've played all different sorts of mixes, you know. Um, what's it like for you going, let's say, from 10K horse or some other mix to a 1500 or an even lower buy-in as far as mixed games? Is Would you give the same answer there or is it a little bit different? 
Um, it's, I mean, it, it definitely has a different feel. The players have a different feel too. And in, in the high, in the high stakes mix, you mm-hmm. know, um, it's especially because most of it is done at the world series. So there is a different level of, um, of gravitas towards it too. You know, like people are taking things even in like, like the difference between like the 10 K horse and a 10 K at poker go, <coughs> excuse me, is, uh, a much different psychological feel. Like people want oh, the bracelet so badly and the the prestige of winning in that. And for a lot of these guys that play only mixed games, they only get this chance to shine a couple times a year. Mm-hmm. Whereas like all the guys that we play, like the poker go stuff and all these, like we have a ton of events every year. So it's like, obviously you want to win, but you don't only have that one stage. And I feel mm-hmm. that way too with the mixed game tournaments at the World Series where it's like, you know, my focus level is, you know, it's, it's always there, but it's, it's like, man, this is my one, you know, like you feel a little bit more let down when you lose like the 10 K dealer's choice. than when I lose just a regular, like a 10 K no limit, mm-hmm. it's like, mm, I don't get to do this again for a year. Mm-hmm. And even in like the 1500s and stuff, it, it has that same aspect of, of, of fun. But I, I think also because I don't get to play as much mix, my level of, of focus and thinking is, more congruent between the two mm-hmm. also because it's more like when you're playing the lower stakes mixed game stuff you can just kind of print money playing very basic strategy mm-hmm. for the most part like Confirmed. if you try right like you <laughs> i can say that yes it's the most profitable thing to do in like the 1500 is to just play solid because you got a guy who's limping the eight seven you know three, six under the gun. Like yep. it's just the way to beat that is to play, you know, three wheel cards. Yeah. That's it. That's, that's all you got to do. Yep. You know, then later in the tournament, it becomes more serious, but in the beginning, it's just, you know, you got, you, that's, that's what you have to deal with. So it's not, it, you do have to train yourself not to, uh, not to pay off as much because people, you know, same thing as in, as in low stakes, no limit versus, versus low stake or high stakes, no limit. You know, when a guy min raises you for all in on the river in a $600, no limit tournament, he probably has it in a 10 K probably has it too, but he also could be bluffing. And right. You know, it's like in, in 08, if you bet with the second nut flush or third nut flush and you get raised, then it's, probably yeah. has it they're probably not trying some complex bluff right <laughs> you know like hmm. my they always cold. have it they always yeah. have it that's it <laughs> that's it yep that's yep. it i i will one one little disclaim a little asterisk when i say confirmed about printing money for me it's just in the four eight you know cash games but yes you can still print money at low, low i mean it's as well. yeah absolutely it certainly works um two more questions for me before we get into the uh section where we get questions from our community here uh in cards chat is there ever any sort of unique type of poker variant that you've seen in private games or in home games that you thought hey this is pretty fun i'd love to add it into the mix um i mean not really i don't think i've ever come across anything new that i've played i have heard um, of people playing short deck PLO, which seems pretty Ooh. interesting. Okay. Um, I haven't experienced it myself because it's basically just like Sam Sovereign and a bunch of really good players playing it at Aria at extremely high stakes. And nah, yeah, we're not going <laughs> to learn with those guys. Thanks. <laughs> Fair play. But it seems like a very interesting game to watch. Um, but for the most right. part, We'd watch like, it. Right? <laughs> Like I like drama hall a lot. I, I wish drama hall would enter the series, but it's in a lot of it's popular in a lot of mixed games now. Yep. Um, and I, I think it's a cool game. I I like it pot limit too. Uh, oh, okay. Yeah, it can get a little challenging. It's a little sick. Yeah, yeah, a little bit. Very cool. All right. Well, uh, in the intro, uh, we promised the shark story. So uh, I thought perhaps we'd save that uh, for the last question. Um, we heard you tell a story, and then credit to my buddy Mike. He found this. Um, on a Turkish poker podcast that you once jumped into the Atlantis Shark Tank at the PCA in the Bahamas. So let's hear the story. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, you know, as probably, I since I don't know many people with Shark Tank stories, but I would guess most of them involve alcohol. 
Uh, yeah, there was a late night, uh, you know, doing some drinking at the Bahamas. They like to overserve you Bahama mamas. Uh-huh. Uh, you know, like the guys that work there, they, it's like after you have a couple, they start laughing and you notice that they're tasting stronger and stronger. Uh, one of the things there is to, it's probably safe to say this since the Atlantis, since, yeah, I probably won't be at the Atlantis for a while. Uh, people break into the water slides after dark when they're closed. You know, some of them still I've have water things. running. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So I was with uh, a couple friends. I'll only name one, Kevin McPhee. Here's <laughs> uh, <laughs> the love. Got to show some love. And we had been doing some some drunken water slides. And uh, first it started where we were at the main aquarium and there's this large manta ray swimming around. And I was pretty drunk. So I was like, you know, I know manta rays. And I don't know. I... I, at the time, it all seemed logical to me. Um, I, once upon a time when I first started college, I wanted to be a marine biologist. So okay. I felt like I knew a little bit about some of the biology of these animals. I was like, oh, I'll go swim after this thing, which obviously I couldn't catch it. That was in the main tank. And then we see the shark tank. I'm looking in the shark tank and I'm talking with the other person that's with us and Kevin. And they're like, oh, nah, we, we could go in there. And I'm like, oh, yeah, actually, we could. It's just like thresher sharks and nurse sharks and stuff. We'll, we'll be fine. We'll be fine. <laughs> They're like, I don't know. I'm like, yeah, it's cool. So I just slipped in there and did a little lap. Get out. And it's it's like a probably a 25-foot deep tank. And at night, yeah. all these sharks are, you know, at the bottom. Obviously, nurse sharks are like, they're like bottom feeders, you know. Thresher yeah. sharks are a little intimidating, but they got little mouths and they you know, the bait fish, they probably still mess me up if I got cut or something. Mm -hmm. I did a little lap and the other person with us got into a little lap. Kevin was a little too smart to get in there. Yeah. Dang. Yeah. It, sadly, I had heard years before that people were offering people like 10K or 5K to jump in there. I, I really missed out. I, I did it for free. <laughs> Felt real dumb. Great stuff. <laughs> great stuff. I love, <laughs> good, I love that story. Great story. 10K or none, uh, notwithstanding. Um, it is time to move on to the segment of the show where we turn to you guys, our Cards Chat community, to see what questions you wanted to ask our guests. Of course, we have a dedicated thread on the Cards Chat forums for this. So as we announce who our future guests will be, please be sure to send in your questions. We have a couple of regulars here. Uh, Crystals, thank you very much, Crystals, for sending these in. Um, it, good catch here, Crystals. Hendon Mob, Dylan, lists your residence as Vancouver. Beautiful city. Um, I'm wondering, is that current? And if so, what went into your decision? Not I'm wondering. Uh, Crystals is wondering, if, if that's current, what went into your decision to live in British Columbia versus Las Vegas? Uh, so it's not, it, it isn't current. Um, that was my, it's odd that it's still there. That was my uh, location directly after Black Black Friday. Okay. Um, and I moved there because it was the place that I knew the best, you know, being from the Northwest, um, it was very, it was spent a lot of time in Seattle, Washington, and it's just right across the border there. Sure. Um, you know, beautiful place. I had friends in Coquitlam, which is like a suburb of Vancouver. Mm. So I just thought I would go up there and, um, you know, that would be where I would stay after Black Friday, which happened, but not for very long. Mm -hmm. um, had a weird incident, very strange incident happened where driving up after Black Friday, my I get a phone call from the person I had rented. I had spent a couple weeks going back and forth, finding a place to rent. I got my car full of my stuff. I get a phone call. It's like a five-hour drive from my hometown to there. About three hours in, I get a call from my landlord. And he's like, hey, the upper floor to the condo complex burnt down. Uh, so we're not gonna be able to rent to you because it's not safe for anyone to live in the lower, you know, and mine was right. lower. It's like, okay. And I was panicked because all my money was locked up on full sure, sure. Um, but my buddy, Jim Colopy was going up there anyway, and he had gotten a vacation rental. So he's like, Hey, why don't you stay with me? So wow. I drive to the border. Um, I get to the border, my car's full of all my stuff, my, yeah. you know, my set of chef's knives, my everything, you know, they're like, well, how long are you going to be in Canada for? I'm like, uh, <laughs> oh, a month. They're like, a month. Okay, pull over. And they search my car. 
and they find my lease for six months for my place. And so then they're like, oh, you're, 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 you're lying to us. You're trying to come in here illegally because there had been naturally, there'd been a big influx of poker players across the border, all across the U S and I told him the story and the guy, he was just like, this story seems really thin. This place, you don't have a place that burned down. So they turned me around at the border. I had to get proof that I was tethered to the U S and they let me back in eventually, but they only let me in for a month and a half. And they stamped this huge thing, which I've never seen before in my passport. That was like, if you don't leave, we're going to arrest you. Wow. So I ended up going there for a little while. Um, and I guess they just never changed my residence there. Um, but I, I ended up going to Mexico, going to Cabo, um, and then Playa del Carmen. Right. Spent most of my time there. Wow. What a fascinating story. And uh, Hendon Mob, our good friends over there, sometimes I think they listen to this podcast. So pay attention. Time to change that to whatever Dylan wants it to be changed to. Um, next question from Crystals. How did you get involved with Run It Once training? Oh, uh, so I just kind of happened upon it, really. Uh, a friend, um, David Emmons, uh, was a pro there, and he had made a final table, and he asked me to do a collaboration with him um, to do some co-announcing, uh, you know, co-commentating on one of his final tables. So I did, and then after I did so, um, Phil hit me up about doing, asking me if I wanted to work for them uh, in my own capacity. And I really, it was a real big jump start for my career for me because it was like all of a sudden, instead of just like thinking about my game on my own, I had the pressure of talking about it and other people judging me and me having to teach them and like, you know, say like, this is why I'm doing it. And then have solid reasons because if you don't, they'll eviscerate you in the comments. So you, you know, and it really, it, it really made me a much stronger player because it's like, I have this community, like, you know, obviously I'm not the only person there making content, but the people watching my videos are counting on it to be at least accurate to the best of my ability. Um, so it put a lot of positive pressure on me to, you know, improve, um, create good content. Right. And I've always been a person that learns through education. So I, I, I found it to be a very good, still find it to be a very good and rewarding experience. And I was lucky enough to just, you know, immediately have um, the guys that approach me about it and say like, hey, would you like to work for us? And then we've just been, you know, I've been a, an employee there ever since. Awesome. That's really great. Great story. Um, uh, and obviously that's, you know, one area where you certainly cannot run a bluff as trying to train people. You got to know what you're talking about. Yeah. Um, yeah. There's, there's been a few, I've, I, man, there's been, there's been a few instructors that have been savage on it. I see. Okay. Shots <laughs> Glad fired, it wasn't me. But, <laughs> okay. Well, it's, it me. It was um, the comments that did it. It wasn't me. Got it. Got it. Okay. Well, last question from Crystals before we move on to our next community member. Um, Dylan, given your success in 2021, how confident are you that this is the year you win a WSOP bracelet? Well, I think I have a very good chance. Um, I feel fairly confident uh you know again it's like I'll, I'll have a better chance than most years because there's a lot more high rollers so smaller fields but the problem with the world series is, is that they're just huge they're very difficult to win you know there's a few events a few of these like high stakes you know mixed game events where you have a pretty good shot at it but also you're against the toughest competition so right. it's they're really bracelets are just really difficult to win these days you know no limit events are massive Yep. You know, unless you're playing like 25K plus. Um, so, I mean, I think I have a better shot this year than in any previous year. But, you know, at the same time, like, I am still probably, in a, you know, it probably only going to happen one in 10 times. You know, who knows? Something. We'll see. Well, I, I wish you the best luck at the upcoming series. That's for sure. Thanks. Um, Acid Burn FX. Thank you very much for sending in. These always has some very creative questions. Um, here's one for you, Dylan. What is the most recent dream you remember having? <laughs> Told so, you, creative questions. <laughs> this is a real funny one. Uh, have a good friend who um, he he's a very very good high stakes gambler. The only bet that he's ever not paid was one with his wife, where they bet on something. And he's a he's a 35 year old man that doesn't know how to drive. 
So he lost a bet to her where he was supposed to get a driver's license. Uh, and he still, it's three years, four years later, and he still hasn't gotten it. So the only person he's reneged on his wife. So I had this weird dream where, and I, I'm, I'm, you know, into cryptocurrency a bit too. So it was him and his wife were practicing driving and they were staying with us recently, which is why it came up in the parking lot for, I'm not sure if you're familiar with the, with F, FTX, which is like a large crypto trading um, firm, but they've recently like bought an arena in Miami and a bunch of things. So I had this dream that they had this huge complex and building. My friends were driving around in it. His wife was teaching him how to drive in it. And all the people who worked there thought that day after day, it was like this woman training her like 15 year old kids. So they pulled money <laughs> together to buy in this car and out pops this 35 year old multimillionaire. And they're like, Oh, what the, and then I woke up. Weird dream. Really like I said, uh, some interesting questions, very creative questions, <laughs> certainly bring some great stories. I like that one. Very good stuff. Um, next one from Acid Burn FX. If you could choose any job to be replaced by robots, what job would you make obsolete? Hmm. That's tough. Uh, probably have to think of a job that no one likes. <laughs> I don't know if anyone likes being a garbage man maybe they do i don't know that's a tough one i, don't, I wouldn't want to like put some out of doing something that they they like to do i'm sure there's some sort of bureaucratic job that that would easily be replaced that you know someone who likes it could find something else to do but i don't have a good specific answer for that one that's totally um, because fair i, I like your approach to do random you're things. thinking of, of the people who may enjoy those jobs first i like that yeah, people like to do weird stuff. I like to do weird stuff. So I know other people, you know, lots of people love being a, an accountant. And I, for me, that's the thing I hate the most about poker. But, right. you know, I have friends who are accountants that are they love. Them. So, I, you know, I can't got to be got to be careful. <laughs> got it. Our final question comes from Debbie. Thank you very much, Debbie, our great moderator. We love every, everyone at Cards Chat loves and knows Debbie. Thank you very much for sending this one in. It's a very personal question to you, Dylan. Uh, she says as follows, I played in a Venetian deep stack event with you in November 2019. We both ended up cashing and I made the final table. I remember it well because we have a mutual friend, Ryan LaPlante. Shout out to Ryan, episode number 33. Listen to that one after this one. Um, and Debbie says she texted him that she was at the table with you. Ryan said you were one of the best poker players in the world. I could have been intimidated, but you were so friendly and talkative. Here's the question. Is that normal for you when you play? Um, yeah, actually, you know, it's funny. When you hit me up about this, I specifically thought of Debbie. Um, really? Because she was the one who had kind of brought Cards Chat into my, you know, like that was the first time I remember like really thinking about Cards Chat and the Cards Chat community because she specifically brought it up to me. Awesome. Um, but yes, yeah, I, I mean, I, I, I think that you don't need to sit and be serious and be angry with people um, or whatever some people want their persona to be at the table. Um, I always have fun when I'm playing. And even though I cert there's certainly, I am guilty of, you know, a vicious stare down, but that doesn't mean that I'm not gonna, not gonna talk and joke with you immediately afterwards. They're two different things. You know, one is, trying to trying to take in information and not give away information at the same time. And right. the other is just being two humans sitting and spending time together. Like why not have fun? Right. You know, like you're meeting people, you're learning about them. Like we're all playing a game that we love. Like that's what would be the point otherwise? I think. Love it. Great answer. And her follow-up, just the sort of the second part of it. And she says a lot of pros are quiet and they don't engage much at the table if I remember if I remember correctly, you were about to get married, so a very belated congratulations. At least you got to spend a lot of time with your new wife in your first year of marriage. I have not gotten to play poker since then. How long was it before you got to play again? Uh, I, I'm assuming she's talking about playing live poker, and it wasn't yeah. until this April. Um, and okay. thank you. Yes, we did get married. Uh, congratulations. <laughs> Good stuff. Thank you. Uh, yeah, in November, right before the pandemic happened. Um, yeah, it wasn't until April um, after I received my vaccine. Our, 
Uh, we have family here in Vegas. My wife's mom lives here um, amongst her other family members too. So it felt like it was a bad decision to expose them because we certainly wanted to see them, you know, where it's like maybe if I was willing to gamble on my own health um, or my wife was, you know, agreed for me to go in, I really didn't want to until every more, you know, more of people in our group were vaccinated and, yeah. you know, responsible. Sure. So it, it, it took a while for me to want to play. Um, and I was happy playing online until then. Uh, certainly live poker. It's been fun seeing, you know, seeing faces again. So hopefully get to see Debbie soon. Awesome. Well, I, I hope so. And I hope I get to see you at the World Series uh, upcoming as well. Uh, this has certainly been a fun face-to-face -face interaction, but uh, nothing replaces the real thing. We can uh, give, give good hug and handshake, that sort of a thing. Exactly. Yeah. It's, you know, video faces are one thing, real faces are. Right. Well, thank you very much to everyone who sent in questions for Dylan Lindy. And again, just a friendly reminder to everyone out there in the Cards Jack community. We'd love to see you submit your questions for our future podcast guests in the dedicated thread on the forums. Please be sure to give us a good review on iTunes and spread the word via your social media channels if you like the show. Dylan, before we let you go, anything else you'd like to tell our listeners and the folks watching? I'm just that I appreciate all the fun questions. Um, you know, if you certainly, if you want to learn some about mixed games, try out my book, I, you know, or check out the good people at run at once. I, I can't claim to be the best instructor there, but man, there are a lot of fantastic ones. And, you know, some people have really nice voices to fall asleep to as well. I like it. Great note on which to end off. <laughs> thank you very much again, Dylan. Thank you all for tuning in to another episode of Cards Chat. I'm Robbie Struzinski. You can follow me on Twitter at Card Player Life. I wish you all a wonderful day. Cards Chat, the friendliest poker podcast in town from the world's number one poker community.